Hello, you're listening to Shadow Talk. I'm your host for today, Victoria Austin. We are in London this week, and joining me to discuss the latest threat intelligence stories are analyst Jamie Collier, Phil Doherty, and Josh Poole. Hello, everybody. How is how are you today? Too bad. How's it going? Yeah, very well. Howdy, howdy. Hi, Josh. Well, good, thank you. Uh, yeah, really happy to be back on. I'm not sure Harrison uh, trusted me to be on for a while, so yeah, finally snuck in. Oh, no, you didn't. Nice. definitely didn't sneak in. Howdy, yeah. howdy. <laughs> Love that, Josh. <laughs> yeah, Josh, actually, this is your first... Uh, My debut, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're excited to have you on board. To get things started, we're going to dive into the threat group MageCart 5. So, Phil, could you just explain who MageCart 5 are? Yeah, for sure. So MageCart 5 are thought to be one of the groups under the MageCart umbrella. Um, but that's be- becoming a bit more ambiguous. Uh, we'll discuss a bit more about that later on. But MageCart, as it is at the moment, is thought to be a collection of these groups. Um, and MageCart 5 specifically, they're not the most sophisticated of the groups that we, we know about. Um, they, do, they seem to target supply chains more than anyone else. So they usually go after the likes of advertisement platforms, uh, website functionalities, um, script hosting platforms, analytics applications, these sorts of things that are directly related with, with websites. So they are um, associated with the Ticketmaster breach. So they managed to identify this specific section of code um, related to Ticketmaster's website functionality and alter it. So this, this section of code was uh, specific to t- uh, Ticketmaster. So it didn't have the same sort of security parameters that Inventor um, usually implements. Um, so it was, it was probably overlooked somewhat from a, a security posture. Um, a bit more on them, they are quite indiscriminate of target geography. Uh, we've seen a lot of their activity in the United States and Europe, but they have targeted the likes of the wider APAC region, um, Australia, um, and some of the Americas as well. Um, like I said, they're relatively unsophisticated, and their skimmer is quite common. They conduct sort of short-term campaigns as well. So we, we, we've seen two longer ones, um, up to eight months and 14 months uh, against Annex Cloud and Clarity Connect, um, which could suggest that they have some sort of technical capability, the likes of maintaining persistence and that sort of thing, that they do need some sort of foundation. Um, And they do have these automated capabilities, so they can compromise large uh, target audiences. Um, So the likes of that miracle exploit isn't isn't always necessary. It might be some of the smaller vulnerabilities that they, they target more often. Yeah, so I think Phil's kind of just provided a great overview of who the group is. However, we it's probably worth diving into actually spe- more specifically MageCart 5. So Jamie, I think you have some comments around that. Yeah, so um, we've actually seen them kind of widen their attack methods or attack vectors uh, in the last few weeks. Um, There's been two reports that have gone out um, and it really just, yeah, it really highlights the breadth of their activity now. Um, so there's kind of five different incidents, as I mentioned, uh, the first one involved them loading their malicious kind of JavaScript files onto commercial uh, grade uh, layer seven routers. So these are typically kind of used for public Wi-Fi hotspots, uh, maybe in airports, casinos, uh, hotels, etc. Um, this would allow them to potentially uh, conduct code injection attacks on those connected uh, to the router. Although you know, uh, but some questions on how easy it is to conduct that, um, even if they do have access to the router. The the second attack was. Um, injecting their malicious code onto a free open source uh, mobile application uh, module. That was a module that was used by developers, uh, inserted into uh, applications and software. Uh, By inserting their own malicious code into that module, uh, they were then uh, able to infect uh, any 
user that had an application or software including that module. And then um, there were three uh, incidences of them distributing the KPOT Trojan. Um, the first was via a spamming campaign, a pretty kind of traditional spamming campaign there, uh, nothing kind of out of the ordinary, but uh, essentially allowed them to send the Trojan at you know huge scale to a large number of users. The second way they distributed KPOT was via compromising websites. Now, when users visited these websites, they were then redirected um, uh, to a site which would then kind of download exploit kits that would then lead to installing uh, KPOP. And then finally, um, it was also reported that MageCart 5 had created a phishing website. Now, it wasn't actually confirmed um, that this was used to distribute KPOP, but uh, security researchers think that, you know, this was potentially uh, a kind of a future plan. Um, so why do we think they're doing this? I think given the variety of attack vectors I've just discussed, it's actually highly unlikely that they're going to continue all of these different uh, methods in the future, or at least in the long term. I, so I think I think what's most likely is that they're currently in a testing stage. They're trying out different attacks. Um, and I think if we kind of think about the next kind of uh, 12 months, they're probably only going to stick with what's actually really successful. So, you know, we can kind of think that some of these are probably going to get scrapped uh, in the next few months, or maybe it was just a kind of one one take, uh, you know, attempt, as it were. Um, I think I think the broader question is what are they trying to achieve? Um, and there's kind of a debate here on you know obviously all of these kind of attack vectors could allow them to kind of conduct their existing skimming attacks. Uh, that's what, as Phil kind of discussed, we've known that they've conducted for a long time. Um, so that would be fairly typical. However, um, by compromising all these different areas, it also comes with new opportunity. Uh, so for example, by compromising routers, you can potentially uh, leverage within that network. Um, by using the Trojan, you can potentially uh, steal other sorts of information. So there's a question of if this was intended. Uh, it might also be that, as I said, they have done these new attacks uh, with a view of conducting existing skimming attacks, uh, but then they will kind of see those other opportunities as well and start to kind of pursue those in the kind of future. I think uh, Fin6 is kind of an interesting bellwether here. Uh, it was well known for targeting point of sale terminals within the kind of retail and hospitality sector. Uh, but over time, it did evolve. It did kind of pursue new avenues. Um, so that included both card skimming, as MageCart is well known for, but also ransomware. So, um, you know, it's hard to say at the moment if we're going to see that kind of uh, shift with MageCart 5. But there's certainly that opportunity if they wanted to pursue that route. And I think something else that I've just, this is just a side note, but um, they're looking to gain it's financial gain isn't it yeah exactly so the way card skimming works is you effectively target either a server or a client and then as they uh ent or as a user enters their uh, financial details or their credit card information that information is then gathered right. by a skimmer yeah. uh, which is kind of sent back to a mage card group and then we know that traditionally uh mage card is kind of a, uh, is a collection of associated groups but we're seeing, I guess, more and more that the term umbrella may not be applicable. Do you see this as the case? Yeah, I think so. So uh, we've we've previously seen evidence that Fin6 is linked to MageCart uh, Group 6. Um, only very recently, there were kind of reports of MageCart Group 4 being linked to the Cobalt Group. So while in the past we thought, you know, MageCart was this umbrella, uh, all these groups potentially could be related, I think if anything now, MageCart is almost a kind of a, an alternative name for card skimming. It's looking like the different mage card groups could actually be quite separate. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm sure there's going to be like uh, card skimming attacks that have been attributed to mage card that have absolutely nothing to do with them. So that mage card seems to be sort of this 
clickbait household name at this stage. Um, so I, I think another point as well, you were talking about Magecart 5, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if they do have all these different opportunities, are they going to test them out? Are they going to try and replicate these sorts of attacks using, using their old school methods with a new tool? I think that's going to be uh, an interesting development moving forward. I think your point on attribution as well is really interesting. I think ultimately, given the uh, the diversity of skimming tools and their reuse, uh, it's actually very hard to attribute these uh, kind of campaigns. So, you know, yeah. there's, there's a certain amount that we just don't know at the moment. Okay, so you've just outlined these five different attack methods. Um, what would you be the most worried about, Jamie? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think it's almost a bit counterintuitive because I think it's actually the the least sophisticated that represent the most significant threat for organizations. If we think about the K-pop Trojan, it's been distributed before, so we wouldn't necessarily be you know, initially alarmed by it, but um, they're using a spamming service that allows them to distribute the Trojan at significant scale, even if the vast majority of recipients didn't open that email or ignored it. Uh, they only need a you know, very small percentage for that campaign to be highly successful. Conversely, if we take the open source mobile phone module, we don't know how many uh, phones or how many applications, software, etc. use that open source module. So while it's quite interesting, it's a you know uh, unusual supply chain attack. Um, it could be that it's actually uh, you know not used at all. So uh, remains to be seen uh, how much of a threat that that poses. And then finally, while on paper the attack against public routers seems the most significant actually it's going to be quite hard for them to uh, use that in practice. There's a few kind of technical limitations um, that means effectively it's going to be very rare in niche uh, situations where that's actually an effective uh, attack vector. So in other news, a suspected Chinese threat actor targets the aerospace sector. Josh, could you tell us who, um, who they are? Yep, so APT-10 uh, is possibly tied to the uh, targeting of Airbus's suppliers, which was aimed at uh, sort of taking uh, commercially sensitive data, uh, which would fit with their previous um, sort of motivations. So previously, they've uh, potentially been tied to targeting Airbus in February this year, actually. Um, and they're a nation state affiliated uh, group tied to China, who uh, typically look to um, export or exfiltrate um, uh, commercially sensitive data on organizations or individuals. Um, and they've been uh, tied to different operations before. So Operation Cloudhopper, which compromised uh, managed service providers' networks in order to gain access to uh, their targets. So that was another case of them targeting the supply chain or you know, third-party vendors. Um, and they've also been associated with the soft cell operation, Operation Soft Cell. Uh, and they use tools which have been associated with APT-10 but couldn't uh, definitely be confirmed as used by the group. Okay, and so... Kind of at the very beginning, I kind of just suggested that it was a suspected Chinese threat actor. Um, what do we mean by this? Yeah, so a lot of the uh, Chinese threat actors uh, may actually share infrastructure or use the same tools. So although we've seen that APT-10 has previously used these tools when conducting malicious campaigns, it could actually be that another a Chinese affiliated actor used them. Yeah, I guess this is a challenge that I guess is also felt with Magecart. Is this, would you agree with this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to that question of are they um, an umbrella or are they different groups? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think there's an inter interesting point to make on um, sort of the regional specific side. So you, you touched on the, the potential collaboration between um, Chinese groups and 
the likes of shared infrastructure and tools and stuff. And that is that is something that is regional specific, um, which makes a lot of the at attribution towards um, state associated in China quite difficult. If you look at other regions, the likes of Northern Europe, um, they are very insular. So they, they, they don't necessarily, or on the public reporting side of things, we don't necessarily see them sharing that infrastructure and using um, each other's tools. Um, so it does, it adds another layer of difficulty when you hear APT10 being APT10. They are arguably one of the most sophisticated and active groups in the APAC region. But again, like Magecart, we can't say that for certain. Definitely. And I think that reflects the, the broader geopolitics. So in yeah. China, you know, you have a state that's kind of working well together. If you talk about Russia, you know, we've talked about APT28, APT29, etc. Now, there are different kind of intelligence agencies, security agencies in Russia, whether that's the GRU, the FSB. Now, they don't all necessarily get on, so they're not all kind of singing from the same hymn sheet, as it were. Yeah, 100%. The, one, the ones in China, they all have this similar goal. Right? These, these massive strategies that go on for years and years, they're all, well, from the public reporting, <laughs> they all seem to be going after the same strategy, the same information, all of this stuff that could be advantageous to them. Okay, well, that sums up uh, that little highlight this week. And then moving on, we have Tortoiseshell actually targets US military veterans. I think this um, this is actually quite an interesting development because last week we spoke on about the fact that Tortoiseshell had targeted the supply chain. So, uh, Phil, could you tell me what's different here? Yeah, so we, we touched on when Adam was in the podcast there last week about um, Tortoiseshell going after the IT providers in the Middle East specifically. So that seemed to be quite a targeted supply chain attack. Um, so we, we had some ideas on how sophisticated the group were, um, their sort of favoured regions for targeting. And now getting this sort of report through from um, or about tortoiseshell targeting the US military veterans um, and the poor ones searching for employment as well, That's it's still quite highly targeted, but it's moving away from this supply chain vector. And it's also moving a complete different geography as well. Um, so I think there's there's there are some ambiguities on some of the specifics around tortoiseshell, um, but yeah, it's just a, an interesting development. Things change in the in, in the cyber landscape all the time. I think tortoiseshell specifically targeting the veterans is interesting because they ha would have left the organisation. So why would they have targeted them specifically? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, and you would have think so. You would have thought if you wanted to leverage into the U.S. military, you know, via veterans. That could potentially work, but it's also quite a weak entry vector. You think that you could go after suppliers, as we've kind of previously discussed, etc. Um, so that doesn't quite fit. I mean, it could be the case, but doesn't you know doesn't seem particularly convincing. Uh, one thing you know it could be is just a, a kind of retaliatory move. Uh, you know, something that is kind of uh, based on kind of geopolitical tensions at the moment between the Middle East and the U.S. Uh, really intended to kind of hurt the U.S. rather than have any kind of espionage benefits. And I think if you're thinking like more broadly and um, when it comes to educating your employees about phishing in general, you can't just think of them in that time frame that are in the, in the organization. You've got to think beyond that. Um, so that kind of like that asks, I guess, a bigger question. You know, you've got to en encompass that into the whole kind of education framework when it comes to phishing. So, yeah, I guess overall, Tortoiseshell has kind of changed its attack strategy. And then... Lastly, we have the story around uh, Zendesk. So Zendesk reported this week that a threat actor had gained access to 10,000 um, Zencast support and chat accounts. However, the um, compromise, the, comp uh, the breach happened in 2016. Is this correct? 
Yeah, and I think it's probably a story that's done the rounds, but isn't as significant as maybe some had feared. So the data accessed was actually quite weak. You know, there was usernames, emails, etc. But the, the passwords they obtained uh, were hashed and salted. Uh, those have been reset since, etc. Um, as you said, it was from 2016. So uh, I'm not sure what to say to people using Zendesk. Part of me would say, relax, it was a long time ago. Uh, the other part of me would say, if you were breached in 2016, the chances that uh, threat actors have capitalized on that data or used it in some way uh, is quite high that, they, that that's already happened, etc. So um, as I said, unlikely to lead to future, kind of a future threat. Um, and I think what it shows is if you are breached, um, you might not find out about it for quite a long time. Uh, and actually, that there's a lot you can do even once you are breached, whether that's kind of searching criminal marketplaces for mentions, searching public repositories for if your data is out there. Um, so really kind of having that kind of digital risk uh, mentality to your security posture. Nice. And I think that's everything for today. So thank you all for joining me. I hope you've had uh, a great time in the podcast, especially you, Josh. I hope to see you more often. Yes, please. The debut's over. <laughs> As always, you can find out more information by visiting resources.digitalshadows.com. Thank you all and have a lovely weekend if you are listening this weekend. <laughs> <laughs>